That's a good thing. All right, church metaphors. Um, I am not a Duke fan. Okay, I'm not a Duke fan. It's not. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm also not a North Carolina fan either. Okay? Not a North Carolina fan. I'm, I'm a Wake Forest Demon Deacons fan because, yeah, because that's where I grew up and stuff. However, um, there is one place in the world where I root for the Duke Blue Devils. And that is Cameron Stadium. When I was in high school, there was this girl named Amy Bunce. And Amy Bunce and I were real good friends. And my dad wanted me to marry her. But we were just real good friends. Because he would tell me, you know, that's the good one. That's a good one right there. Dad, I am 16. I don't even want to think about that. So Amy would invite me to go with her family, because they had money, to Duke games. And it would, they would actually buy me a ticket to go with them. Maybe her dad was setting me up with her. I don't know. I don't know. I was too naive to even know any of that stuff. But nonetheless, I went to a lot of, of Duke games when I was in high school, from the time I was 16 all the way through 18. And I've been a lot of places to watch basketball games. I've, I've been to the Dean Dome, and that was exciting just because of the coach who was absolutely incredible, who it's named after, and just to be in there and see all the blue. I've been to Wake Forest. I've been in different places. But there is something about the Duke arena that makes you want to pull for Duke. When those when, <laughs> when those people begin to cheer for their team, you can feel it in the arena. When they stomp their feet or do anything, you can feel the vibrations all the way through that stadium. If you don't know anything about it, it's about as big as a high school gym. It's about as big as a high school gym. Everybody is tight. Everything is hot. People are sweating. That sounds absolutely gross, but you don't even care because the experience is absolutely incredible. So you begin to think, okay, well, this is so tiny. Why don't they make it bigger? The reason they do not make it bigger is because their coach doesn't want it any bigger. Trust me, if that man ever said, I want a new basketball stadium, they would immediately build him a new basketball stadium. He is just that good. Okay, he's... No matter if you hate him, he's a good coach. At one time, I thought that he could even make me a good basketball player. Right? Because he's just a good coach. So, so he wants it tight. He wants it controlled. And there's a reason. He wants that intensity. He wants that life. He wants that closeness. He, he loves the environment. And that is what he's going for because that... It's what he's going for. That's what he wants. That life, that vitality, that loudness. Um, I was there uh, one time. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but Clemson had a, um, had a problem with tennis shoes one year. Does anybody remember? Remember that? Nobody does? Well, I do because I was in the stadium when Clemson came to play Duke. And they actually, I don't know where they got these shoes from, but they actually, as they came onto the court, threw shoes onto the court. I know you're thinking that was really rude, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was just awesome. 
So, so they would do stuff like that. There was also another time that one of the players, and I don't even remember who it is because I don't remember the other team, but every time he got the ball, because he had previously the week before got a DUI, every time he bounced the floor, they would go, D-U-I, with the bounce of the basketball. I mean, it, it is just stuff, like, and it's so loud and so deafening, it is absolutely incredible. If you ever have a chance, whether you're a Carolina fan and you hate them, or whether you're a Duke fan and you love them, or somebody else, you don't even care about them, if you ever get a ticket to that stadium, I would tell you that you need to go. It is, it is an experience like no other. I believe that the church should also be that way. I believe that the church should be an experience where we connect and worship with God in such a way that you just cannot wait to get back the next week. I believe that the church should have the life of Christ pumping through it in such a way where it is just, wow, we are glad to be in church. We know that Jesus loves us and we love Jesus and we are here to hear what he has to say and we are here to worship him when we come to church. This place actually should be better than the Duke Stadium because that's the devil's arena. (laughs) And this is God's, right? And if the world can produce that with just mere humanity, what do you think would happen if the life of God came into this room? And started touching and worshiping, and we're, uh, touching our hearts and, and getting a hold of us. So with that said, I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. So as you're turning to Revelation chapter 1... Um, I could talk to you today about what I think God's vision for our church is. And, and I, could, I could tell you about property. I could tell you about things in the future. I could tell you about reaching out. I could tell you about still focusing on children because that is awesome. And I could talk to you about community. And I could talk to you about a bunch of stuff. I could talk about you a bunch of stuff today. But where I've been led today... Is, is to a passage of scripture that tells you what Jesus wants for his church. What is his vision for what he wants his church to be? And I think we find that in Revelation. And we're going to begin reading with verse 17, and this is what it says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, and this is Jesus, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, And the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven 
churches. So the metaphor that Jesus uses for his church is a lampstand. And if you read a little bit further into Revelation chapter 2, he is going to say, I might take your light, your lampstand away if you do not obey me. He'll say that. But he's among these lampstands, and, and lampstands are stuff that gives you light at night, right? And so a lamp is, is worth its weight in gold, or it's worth its, you know, whatever. It's worth it if it actually turns on and actually if there is light around it. So you have two, two lamps up here today. Um, one of them actually works and one of them isn't working because it isn't plugged in. And actually both of them isn't working because they're not plugged in. But even if you plugged them in, only one of them would work. They represent this morning two different types of churches. One church that is following God's vision, which is to shine into the world. And the other one that is just about anything else but shining for the world. Two different lampstands. Two different lampstands. Jesus, while he was here on earth, would put it to you this way. He would say, you, that's me and you, if you're saved, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is Jesus' vision for the church? It's that you and I shine for him. You and I live our faith and live in such a way that everywhere we go, no matter if it's at Food Lion or it's at home or it's at your job place, that we are actually shining for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he wants for us. That is what he wants for you. He wants our light to shine. And the church is a lampstand. A church is something that is supposed to shine in its community. And a church is made up of people. A church can no longer shine if they're arguing. A church can no longer shine if they are attached to stuff that they want. A church can only shine when it's attached to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he wants. That is when a church can shine. Now, there are seven lampstands. There are actually seven churches in, in Revelation chapter 2 and in Revelation chapter 3. They're, they're scattered and sprinkled throughout all of those passages of scripture. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2 verse 19 because this is a verse that I believe um, gives a very succinct vision that he has for all the churches. In fact, the themes that are found in verse 19 are found in the other six churches that he's talking about here. And so this is going to continue our, what does Jesus, what's Jesus' vision? And if it's to shine, what does that look like? Verse 19 says this, I know, that's Jesus, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So let's break this down. First of all, I know your works. Jesus knows it all. And I know your love. What does Jesus know about this love? And, and what kind of vision does he have for, for your love and for my love? Well, first of all, Jesus wants you to be in love with him. 
He wants you to be in love with him. Because he knows that if you are in love with him, you are going to be in love with his people. If you are in love with him, you are going to love the lost. If you are really in love with him, it will absolutely change your life, change your direction, and you will not be able to not shine in the world if you love Jesus. You love Jesus first. Now, love takes a commitment. Love takes a commitment. See, many times people fall in and out of love because they don't feel God at this moment. They don't feel Jesus at this moment. They don't feel this way. They don't feel that way. Love is a feeling, but it's also not. It's also a decision. It's also a logical uh, thing that you can come to to say, God has blessed me even though I feel like trash. God has blessed me even though I'm being successful. God is always interested in me and God loved me first and I am so thankful for that and I am going to love him back. It is a conscious decision to choose to be committed to loving Jesus in everything you do and Every word you say, in every place that you go, you are in love with Jesus and you show that love to others. And you are more importantly showing that love to him. So you you go to the supermarket and right before you talk to an individual, you are in love with Jesus so you love them and you treat them differently even though maybe you have to handle a situation. You love God first and you're committed to him. In the Bible... Jesus says that he not only loved the entire world that they could be saved, but he also says that he loves his church. Here's number two. You cannot, you cannot love Jesus and not love his church. You have to love his church. And you show that love by your words that you say about your church. You show that love by being here and being committed to be here? Because Jesus loves his church. See, church in God's arena is always plural. It takes more than one to have a church. It takes a group of people to have a church. You are alike when you go out, but you're a part of a bigger body, which is his church, and you are supposed to shine for him because you are committed to a church, to a local church. Committed to a local church. I am shining. You want to find out why I shine? You want to find out more about Jesus? I go to Farmington Baptist Church. Jesus is there. I want you to come. I'm committed to Jesus. I love him, and I love his church, and I love his people. I'm committed to Jesus, I love him, I love his church, and I love his people, and I'm committed to that. I am not committed or as committed to other things in my life. I'm not as committed to going and seeing the favorite basketball game as I am to him. He is my number one. He is who I focus on. I love his church, and I love his people. It's number one. God demonstrated his love to you because his vision was that he was going to create a body of people who loved each other and loved the world and shined in the world. You cannot shine in the world and hate. 
You can't. You can't do it. I am not preaching about what I'm about to say. I am just making a point. Okay? In our government this week, that was darkness. That was darkness. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be light and love. Is everybody tracking? We need to be different than that. Let the politicians and the people that aren't saved eat each other. Just let them do that. That, by the way, is what people that do not have the Lord Jesus Christ do. They eat each other. That's the world system. It is destructive. God has a different vision. He has a vision of light, life, love. And we love Jesus. We love his church. And we love the lost. We do everything we can to shine for him. At the end of the day, that is the most important thing that you can do in your entire life is shine. Come on. Jesus said, I walk among lampstands, and the seven lampstands are the church, and the church is supposed to shine. Now, this, of course, means that we're supposed to live by faith. So, I thought maybe I would pause a moment and allow another voice to kind of show you how he is living his faith in his environment. And his name is Stephen Curry. And here is his testimony. We've seen that movie before, Steph Curry with another three. This is in transition with a defender right in your face. Watching it all year long. He's put this team on his back.
try to use each and every game as a, an opportunity to witness. I do a, a little signal every time I, I uh, make a shot. A way to kind of just preach the message in little ways that I can. So uh, each game is an opportunity to, to be on a, a great stage uh, and to be a witness for Christ. There are going to be so many ups and downs and so many you know, obstacles and hurdles you're going to have to face in life. Nothing is ever too much for God to intervene in your life. I've had a lot of great moments in my career, a lot of down moments, but I try to praise Him the same um, because of the opportunity He's given me and the blessings He's put in my life. When I step on the floor, people should know, you know who I represent who I believe in. We've been blessed with talents to play to play sports at a high level. And each time it's, it's in, in his name that we go out there and perform and, and compete and, and use the gifts he's given us in the right way. In chapter 2, verse 19, it says, I know your works, your love, and faith. I think if you're in love in Jesus, it's very, the very natural next step is to live your faith in your life. Now, I don't, I don't know much about basketball. I mean, you know that. I don't know much about basketball. I watch it. I see this video and I think that, that is absolutely incredible. That's on YouTube and that's a, that's a testimony. I think that's absolutely incredible. The, the point here is he said that he tries to find ways to share his faith and live his, his faith in little ways in everything that he does. You and I need to be so faithful to Jesus Christ who we love that we show our faith in him in little ways in everything that we do. If we're cooking for our family, if we are fixing something at our home, if we are interacting with our children, if we're inter interacting with their teachers at school, whatever we are doing, faith needs to be a part of that. And we need to find little ways to show our faith to the world. And then when we have difficult times, we use that faith to trust in God to get through those times. The God who loves us is the one that will get us through any moment that is bad. And I love him for that. So you use your faith for that purpose. See, the reason that this is so important is number one, we love Jesus. And I've already talked about that. But number two, the world is a mess. The world is a mess. And if you put your love and faith in anything in this world, you are putting your love and faith in a mess. There isn't a president that is going to solve the mess. There isn't an um, appointment to the Supreme Court that is going to solve the mess. There isn't a police officer that is going to solve the mess. There isn't a teacher that is going to solve the mess. There isn't a parent, there isn't a leader in this world that is going to solve the mess. The only person 
that's going to solve the mess is Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't even trying to make the mess better. Jesus is going to get rid of the mess and start a whole new world for us. Because the mess is that bad. The mess has to go. I love Jesus because he first loved me and he shouldn't have done anything, anything for me at all, but chose to. And I am going to a better day because of him. That is amazing. So each day of this life, I'm putting my faith in him and looking above the mess and looking toward the goal of the high calling of the Lord Jesus in my life. And that is to love him, love his church, and love others. The world is a mess. This verse continues. It says this. I know your works, your love and faith and service. This means that my love shouldn't be something that I should just, you know, talk about right here. It should be something that shows in my life. And it's shown through service. It's shown through ministry. It's shown through helping others. Jesus did this in his life, didn't he? There was a moment in Jesus' life where he entered into Jerusalem and there was a great parade. And then he went up into this upper room a couple of days later. And he's sitting around with his, his apostles, his 12, right? His posse, right? He's sitting around with them. And he notices something smells in the room. It's a bad odor, bad odor. And he's like, oh my goodness, nobody washed any of these men's feet. We have to get rid of this odor before we eat. He didn't really say that. That's a different version of the Bible that isn't accurate. <laughs> so he, there's dirty feet. And so what he does is he picks up a basin and a towel and he washes everybody's feet in the room. There's a couple of interesting things about that. More interesting than what Peter said to him, to me. First of all, this is, the, this is the God that created those people washing their feet because he loved them and he came to serve them. If you are too big to serve other people, you are too big and you think you're higher than God. That was the original sin was pride. That's why Satan fell. So here's Jesus washing feet, an astounding, an astounding thing. Here's the second thing that I think is astounded. Nowhere in Scripture does it show that one of the apostles got up to wash Jesus' feet. I think if that had happened, that would have been in there. If I love Jesus, and I am faithful to Jesus... Jesus is the one that I need to be serving. It is great that Jesus wants to bless me. It is great that Jesus wants to serve me. It is great that he wants to do that. There's a humbling thing about that. There is an amazing thing about that because he's God. But if he is God in doing that, who am I to not serve God? Who am I to not be involved in what he's trying to do in the world? Who am I to not shine for the world, when that is what he wants. Who am I? 
I'm the one that should be taking up the basin and the towel. I'm the one that should be responding to him to say, yes, I will be in church. I will love your church. I will serve your people. I will go after that. I will do that for you. I am with you. I will serve. Look, Jesus didn't have time to wash their feet. He didn't have time to do that. He had something to do. I don't know if you know this or not, but he had something to do. He needed to make it to a garden. He needed to be, you know, rejected. He needed to follow the road to Golgotha and the beating. And he needed to rise three days later. That's what would have been on my mind. If I knew that I was about to be beaten, the last thing on my mind, because I'm human and this is just bad, is what I was about to go through. It wouldn't be serving before I went through it. Um, I've never had a surgery in my life. Just never had, well, I have had a surgery. It was skin grafts, but not a real surgery. Not a real surgery. Like, that's a surgery, but it's not like open up your heart and work on it surgery. Is everybody with me? Never, never had been cut open. I'm not so sure, and, and I would have to work on this, I'm not so sure that if I ever had a surgery, if the thing in my mind would be serving people before I went to the surgery. Immediately my mind would be encompassed with worry and wonder and prayer and asking God to help me through that surgery and focused on me getting through that. The reason I know this is when people in my family have had surgery, like my dad, that's what I focused on. I focused on praying for him. I focused on him getting through the surgery. I focused on God working in that moment. I don't think I've ever been a part of a family surgery happening where I thought about serving somebody before I got there. I don't think I've ever done that. What I am saying, and you probably already got it, that if we love Jesus, we serve him and others are first and he is before them and we are third. We're third. We should be serving and praying. Praying for the people that we are serving. And yes, praying for the future crisis that's about to happen. But we serve. And that should be on our mind. So, the next thing here is endurance. It's patient endurance. Patient endurance. Um, I, want you, I want to read um, part of the Church of Smyrna, verses, verses 8 through 11. And this patient endurance is described in this church of, of Smyrna here in Revelation chapter 2. And it says this, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It's endurance. Some of you might be in a situation right now where you are having to endure some type of... of um, 
pushback on your faith. Maybe you've witnessed to somebody and they're pushing back on it. Or maybe they know you're going to church and there's some pushback on it. Jesus wants you to love him and endure through that. He wants you to stand for him. He wants you to stand under that tribulation. Some of you might not have shared your faith or even witnessed because you're scared of the repercussions of that. Jesus wants you to live for him, love him, and serve people and stand for him. He wants you to take that step. He wants his church to be that. And then this ends here, this verse, and then I'm going to have one more point. This ends here with that your latter works exceed the first. Your latter works exceed the first. I want to submit to you this morning just real quickly before we go to the last thing we're going to talk about today. That God always wants his church to get better. God always wants his church to do things better. God wants his church to be a place where we always reach for excellence. That means a couple of things. That means, first of all, none of us in here individually have arrived at holiness yet. It means everyone in here has their thing, or things, or many things that we're working on. God requires you to live better for him tomorrow than you are living today. He wants you to be better. As for his church, he always wants his church to get better. So, so we have outreach events. We have Awana. We have different things that we do. But we should always be evaluating, yeah, that went great, but how can we improve on that and get better? How can we grow in this and be more effective for the one that we love so we look at things that absolutely went well and we try to make them better and we try to make them to where they are running better, they're doing better and we do the best we can to be better as a church and as an organization and we don't become stagnant. We progress towards something. We don't sit back and remain the same. You see, when people remain the same physically, they die. When the church remains the same and never tries to improve for Jesus, that is the moment it has begun to die. Are you tracking with me? So God wants things to get better and better and better. Now, flip over to chapter 3. And we're going to end with this. Now, an ending for a Baptist preacher might be 30 minutes. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay? Just throwing it out there. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says this. Behold, this is Jesus speaking. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. We'll read that again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. This is a verse that is often misinterpreted. 
Oftentimes, we use this verse to say, this is a salvational verse. Jesus is outside the door, and he's knocking, and he wants us to come in. This is not a salvational verse. This is a verse to church people, specifically Laodicea, but also to us today, where Jesus is saying, you have pushed me outside of the church, and now I'm knocking because I want to come back into the church so that I can fellowship with you and be with you and live with you. That is what this verse is saying. You've pushed me out, but I want to get back in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, fellowship with him, and he with me. The reason that this verse is so touching is because even when God's people who have accepted them as their personal savior and have pushed him out of the church because they want this type of church and not his type of church. They want their way and not his way. The reason this is so touching is because Jesus is so in love with you, he doesn't give up. So what does he do? He knocks. He knocks. My daughter um, is, in, in, is in college, so I didn't ask her permission to do this because she's a long way away and she's all busy. Um, and she's not here, so this is all good. My wife isn't here, my son isn't here to tell her, so we're all good, so we'll keep this one quiet. All right. My daughter, when she would get upset and go to her room and shut her door, the very first thing that I would do as a dad, and I, was, I would go to that door and I would give a little knock and ask her if I can come in. If she would tell me no, I would wait a little while because I loved her. And I'd come back down the hall and I would knock. And usually by the second knock, she would let me in. But if she was really upset, it would be the third or fourth, you know, depending on, on what it is, it'd, it'd be good. Um, she'd let me in. My other kid, who is Quinn, when he gets upset and he goes to his room, you knock one time and he'll let you in immediately. That's because, well, it's just because he's Quinn. It's just because he's Quinn. But Aurora would take some time. I would knock. Why do I knock? Because I love my daughter. Why do I knock? Because I love my son. Because I hurt when they are hurting. Even though I might not agree with why they're upset or why they have pushed me away, because sometimes that happens, right? As parents, they push you away. Even though they push me away, my desire in my heart is to reconnect with them, so I try to reconnect. And I don't let time go by. Don't let any time go by. See, what sometimes happens is we let time go by. And if you let time go by, it gets worse. But if you knock, and when they're ready for you to come in, it's an amazing moment. That you actually solved the problem, whatever problem it was, gets solved in that moment, or you're taking huge steps toward solving that problem because you're able to talk, you're able to commune. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I want to commune to, with you, my church, all the time. 
Jesus is saying, I know that you sinned this week and I know you didn't have me first, but I'm still knocking on your door because I still want to commune with you. You are still my child. You are still my son. You are still my daughter. And I love you enough to knock on the door. Open the door. Open the door. The door may be closed and he's knocking. Open the door. Jesus loves you and you should love Jesus enough to open the door and let him in. He only desires to have a relationship with you. He only desires to speak with you. He only desires to talk with you. What a savior. And as for his church, I want to leave here today because I already believe that this is the way this church is. That the door at Farmington Baptist Church is never closed to Jesus. Never. He can come in anytime he wants to and he can commune with us anytime we want to. He wants to. And on Sunday morning, my prayer is that he comes to this church and communes with our hearts. Communes with our minds. Communes with our souls. If Jesus is not here and we close the door, Philip Brand does not have what you need. I don't have it. But if Jesus is here, that is all we need. He takes someone that stutters, doesn't always use correct grammar, as a vehicle for his message. And it is his message. And it's an amazing thing. But that ain't going to happen if the door is shut. That isn't going to happen if I fall out of love with Jesus. And you, as you listen, are not going to hear the message if you have fallen out of love with Jesus. Your heart has to be open. Your heart has to let him in. Your heart has to listen for what he wants to say to you today. It is Jesus, and Jesus is alone. I think I can speak for at least most people in this room. I, I think I know people in this room. I think we all love Jesus. I think sometimes some of us struggle with some of his people. Right? But I think our heart's desire is to love his people too and treat them with that love. And I think all of our hearts is to shine in this community for his honor and his glory. My prayer is that we will always have that vision. And we will always keep that as our focus. Amen?